Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. The Welsh Conservatives are a cornerstone of Welsh politics, with a core base of between 20 and 30% of the voting population. This weekend, the Welsh Conservatives meet for their annual conference in Newport, but with the party under pressure at Westminster and struggling to make a breakthrough in polls in Wales, will this be an optimistic conference or one where they begin preparing for the worst? Joining us this evening to discuss this and more are Ant Pickles, former Chief of Staff for the Welsh Conservatives. Hello, Ant. Hello. Thank you very much for joining us. And we've also got Abigail Manion, Chair of the Conservative Women's, Org- Women's Organisation Wales and a former Senate candidate in Allen and Deeside. Hello, Abby. Hi, Matt. So, Ant, we're going to start with you. Obviously, this week we've seen the resignation of former Deputy Prime Minister uh, Dominic Raab. What was your assessment of this development and what impact, if any, do you think it will have on the Conservatives' electoral prospects? Well, it's been a long time coming, hasn't it? So um, one of the things that I think a lot of people were expecting was um, possibly a stronger report that was more critical of him and his behaviours. I think because it was more of a grey area where, you know, whilst the findings were not particularly kind, they weren't um, damning as people were expecting. Um, I, I think people feel as if he's been fairly hard done to. Um, And that in itself has sort of started a slightly different debate to what it might have been, which was obviously one against the context of bullying in Westminster and the like. Actually, it's one now where questions are being raised about the relationship between ministers and civil servants and whether there needs to be some uh, reform. You know, I'm not one that really wants to see the type of reforms that that lead to a politicised civil service, but that's certainly the debate that's happening. I think in terms of the party actually you know we've sort of got used to some of these shock resignations haven't we over the past few years so I don't think it's quite had the impact that you know the resignation of deputy prime minister would have had 10 years ago or more I think actually you know we've become accustomed um, to these sort of um, sensationalized resignations Um, and I think you know the speed and the swift reshuffle that came off the back of it possibly sort of demonstrates that you know Rishi Sunak have been preparing for this outcome and you know the reaction in Westminster today has been fairly muted. Abby do you think do you agree with that do you think they'll have any impact on conservative electoral prospects or have we all sort of become a bit desensitized to this sort of stuff now? I think people have become desensitized but the headlines still do grab and you still do get those messages coming through on social media but people are looking more closer to home at what is going on and what matters here and I think that's what we need to do also with our conservative message here in Wales is take that focus and raise those issues that matter to the voters here on our doorstep day to day. To what extent do you think the fate of the Welsh Conservatives is tied more to the actions of the UK party rather than anything, uh, say, a Conservative MS does? Do you think that's still the case or do you think that's changed somewhat now? I think think that's always been the debate, hasn't it? Particularly with UK-wide parties that have got representation in the Senate, how much of an impact can they possibly have through, um, you know, the scrutiny and the policy platform that they play in the, in the Senate? It's certainly got stronger. People are certainly more aware of the politicians that um, that are that are active in the Senate. Um, certainly, you know, their profile grew. Uh, arguably through the pandemic where people you know were seeing their voices seeing their faces hearing their voices much more frequently than they ever were before you know I think we're probably still you know although you and I and others have been following this for a long long time we're probably still at the nascent stage of Welsh devolution to, to you know to many 
many um, aspects of um, you know of our following. So you know, in twenty five years time, you know, I would imagine it would be many many times on from where it is now, and you know, we're only sort of into the fifth centers at the moment. So. Um, you know, the impact that um, Westminster has is still very, very great. And, you know, the, the more that people become used to the decision makers in Cardiff Bay, um, you know, the more that the um, the place is going to become more mature. And that's a, that certainly happened, you know, over the sort of 10 or 15 years that I've been following it and involved in it. But I think I'm probably garbling a bit here, but my main point really is that um, Westminster is still um, a feature. Of course it is, you know, that's where the, the, the media landscape tends to follow. Lots of people that read the newspapers in Wales tend to sort of pick up what is going on around Westminster. So, of course, that has an impact. This weekend is obviously your spring conference in Wales. And without being too blunt about it, it's not been the best spring for the Conservatives. And uh, last week saw some pretty disappointing polling for the Welsh Conservatives, significantly behind in both Senedd and Westminster constituencies, you know, is there anything we can expect from the conference this weekend that you're aware of, which might begin to address where we are in those polls? I think this weekend is about bringing our members together, along with our politicians, to kind of bring that morale boost. It has been a tough time for the Welsh Conservatives, um, not just in the past few months, not just spring, but, you know, 18 months or so. And this is an opportunity for that motivation and the sense of to build within our activists and our core base. We are looking now ahead to the general election and we do need to start thinking about candidates, about policy that we're going to be bringing forward. And this is a great opportunity for us to start building that base of momentum up from here. And is that a fair summary to regroup and rebuild this weekend and then uh, prepare for that general election we know is coming in the next 18 months or so? Yeah, so I think Abby's right there. So general election is obviously the, the focus point, um, even even though it's still some way off, you know, that's where people's minds are, partly because the polls are as stark as they are, partly because I think um, that many in the Welsh Conservatives still feel that there's um, a lot to play for, that, you know, the whilst the polls have, you know, moved against the party over the last six months and beyond, um, you know, there is still a narrative there to be defined. Obviously, a lot of that is going to be on the economy. It's going to be based on, the performance of the government in Westminster. But I think more broadly, I think there is this opportunity to try and create a narrative which is different to um, what others are talking about in, in Cardiff Bay. So, you know, if you look at the way that, you know, Andrew R.T. Davis is sort of framing himself, it's much more pugnacious than when he was first leader, uh, the type of language, the positioning that he's um, taking. I think part of that is because he can see that, you know, whilst Labour is dominant in Wales and there is a strong um, nationalist following as well, that the the numbers of people that simply don't vote in the Senate is due to apathy. And the way that you might be able to connect with those type of people is by using sort of straight language that cuts across the bowels of how the sort of consensus language that we've become grown uh, accustomed to um, has developed. So. You know, I think that's probably what we're going to see a lot more of, particularly at this conference, where, you know, people will be challenging the status quo, they'll be challenging lots of the, the policy failures as they see it in Cardiff. And, you know, trying to sort of speak this new type of political language that we've probably not been used to over the first 10 or 15 years of um, the Welsh Conservatives and uh, the Senate. I'm going off script now, which will 
uh, wine mat and richer. But, so do you think that apathy, that, that and it is a large proportion, over 50% at Senate election anyway, who don't vote, do you think that kind of apathetic vote really is where the Conservative kind of strategists see making some ground? Uh, so I think it always has been, but they've never quite known how to galvanise interest. So... You know, the, there's obviously a tailing off that happens between those that go out to vote for a general election and those that go out to vote for Senate elections. It, it's, it's obviously, it's getting tighter. Um, there is a growing uh, turnout for Senate elections, but as you say, it's still over 50% of people that don't bother. They don't see how it connects with their lives. And, you know, part of that is that it can feel quite remote if you're not in sort of South Wales. If you're in, in Mid and West or in, in North Wales, the Senate can feel quite a long, long way away doesn't feel like it's part of your life. Part of it, I think, is because the, um, you know, the powers are still particularly opaque. People possibly don't understand the competence that exists there. So I think that there is that opportunity. And I think they obviously see the strategizing that goes on in the group in, in Cardiff is obviously to try and target those people and to try and get them either you know, exercised about policy decision makers um, that you know, currently are making decisions on their behalf or to try and get them interested in an alternative message. Um, you know, I think both of those things are apparent from the way that they, um, you know, are sort of holding themselves in the centre. I mean, much as, you know, and, and picked up on the media attention that Andrew R.T. Davis's Twitter account's been getting recently, but do you think that that's the sort of stuff that only the people in the bubble are particularly interested in and that really everybody else, you know, is appreciating a new straight-talking type of politics in Wales? I think the challenge that we have is that the media sphere that we have in Wales is, you know, we've got a few platforms. We've got BBC Wales, we've got ITV, we've got Wales Online, but most of the news that you see is the national press. So it is really hard for us to cut through. And the tone of Andrew's tweets and, and media output, as well as the kind of new political language that we have, is more clickbaity, is what you were going to see and engage with a lot faster because we don't have the the scope or the spread that other news outlets have and i think that's one of the reasons why we do have less engagement with the welsh conservatives or with welsh politics as westminster does because it's not as in your face and we don't have as big or as deep as a, me of a media here in wales if i come back to my chain of thought which was around the polling uh from the last week or so which um, I think it was Redfield and Wilton polling saw Welsh government itself have pretty negative figures um, on most areas that were the public were asked about, uh, apart from handling the coronavirus pandemic. So, with those negative figures in mind, why do you think it's still a struggle for the Conservatives to break through, despite you know Welsh government really not? having that greater record in the big ticket items that they're responsible for? So that's a big question. I think one of the issues is that you've got this sort of, well, you've got the obvious points in there. You've got the geographical um, issues where you've got that sort of close concentration of Labour constituencies and Labour votes um, in, uh, in South and parts of the North and um, where the Welsh Conservatives pick up the vote is either on the periphery of that 
or in you know sort of the eastern coterie of, of Wales if I can put it that way on you know Brecon Beacons sorry that's a politicised word this week but uh, you know mid, mid and west Wales um, we'll, be, we'll be coming back to that don't worry you know and, and so you've got you do have that sort of geographical disparity I think the second uh, issue on the polling is that it goes back to that first question doesn't it which is that the performance of the UK government of Rishi Sunak and his team has uh, an overwhelming bearing on performance of the party in Wales and I think I think the third issue is that you know to really sort of cut through with the the electorate in Wales you've got to have a message which is going to apply to those that teeter towards other parties so there is a right-wing uh, part of the Ply Cymru nationalist uh, vote but at the moment the Welsh Conservatives are not um, applying any strategy towards those type of people in the way that perhaps Nick Bourne might have done in sort of 2007, 2008 time. So, you know, you've got, you've got a thinner margin of people. So they obviously see that the way they're going to try and turn those, those polls that Kerry's just described around is to go after the people that just don't vote at the moment. And part of that will be, you know, the sort of red wall strategy, so-called, you know, going after the kind of disenfranchised Labour votes who probably did vote for Brexit. Um, you know, they apply in seats like Bridgend, Wrexham, those kind of places. But but as I say, on the whole, it will be the people that currently just don't bother with, with Senate elections. I mean, much has been made as, as, a, as a line of critique that the Welsh Conservatives at the minute have focused too much on sort of wedge issues, those sort of cultural issues. I mean, you mentioned it there, the Barney Brecheniog, the Brecon Beacons National Park uh, announcement. Why do you think there was such a furor in the Welsh Conservatives about that announcement? And does that sort of feed into this broader, at least on the outside, this broader belief that the Conservatives are focusing on more cultural issues rather than the areas of policy we usually see politicians focus on? I think, well, one, cultural issues are more important in today's society. That is what people are engaging with. I think in particular with this issue, it was at a time when there are so many issues in Welsh politics, you know, Betsy Cadwallader in North Wales, that health board has gone back into special measures, and yet the focus is not on these key issues, it's on spending money on this name change when there are bigger things that are do need our focus and attention. I think the Welsh language aspect of it, I don't, don't there is no problem with that. Like everyone is going to call it what they feel comfortable calling this national park. So it's, I don't think it's being an anti Welshness. I think it's just genuinely there are bigger fish to fry. Why is this a big key important policy that the Welsh government are focusing on when there is so much more that they could be doing right now? Yeah, so I think, so from what I could see, I mean, personally, I don't really care. It doesn't matter. I think most people will know it as, you know, either name, whatever they apply it um, in their own minds, that's what they'll call it, you know, and good luck to them. But, you know, the, the issue as far as I could see was that it was one about the decision-making process and people getting upset that they weren't consulted, that it seemed to have come out of nowhere. I think the, I think the, the other issue is that um, you've got conservatives who want to you know, proactively engage with the language and they will see this sort of angry reaction to fairly simple rebranding exercise as sort of taking them back um, when you know, there has been such an effort since 1999 and um, you know, the advent of the assembly as was to a stage where actually a sort of angry response is possibly what you would have seen in the 1980s, not in you know, the early 2020s. I mean, some commentators have 
given the impression that this feeds into this this broader belief that the Welsh Conservatives struggle with this to creating a sense of what is a Welsh Conservative versus being the Welsh arm of the UK Conservative Party, if you see what I mean. And how do the Welsh Conservatives go about creating this genuinely Welsh identity, Abby? Well, obviously, there are, have been challenges between what is Conservatives in Wales and Welsh Conservatives. But I think it's important to remember that we are a Conservative family. So whilst we can have a separate identity here in Wales and a Welsh Conservative brand, that we still are one party and represent the same fundamental values. How do we differentiate? Well, it is looking at what matters here and there may be some topics that we do differ on, but the Welsh language and the the promotion and acknowledgement of Welsh culture here is where we will differ. But otherwise, those core values and the the building blocks of both parties, which essentially is it is confusing in the sense that, you know, you've got the Welsh Conservative Party and the Conservative Party, but we have the same building blocks. We are one whilst also being kind of different branches of that Conservative tree. And what do you think of this? I mean, everybody in Wales makes so much of the fact that Welsh Labour have been able to create a distinct Welsh identity and it's sort of placed to their advantage. Why do the Welsh Conservatives struggle to do so? So I think the change that's come about is the fact that um, Labour has become more comfortable with a soft nationalist base um, in a way that perhaps parts of the party always have been, but it's broadened its appeal. And that's to, to the cost of Fly Cymru, actually. So you think about Tyron Jones or, or even Mark Drakeford, you know, they're, they're able to sort of stretch across from the sort of, you know, traditional valleys type Labour voter all the way um, across, you know, to sort of Carmarthenshire and, uh, uh, you know, apply a slightly different emphasis to what it means to be Labour. The Welsh Conservatives haven't really managed to do that. There, there's a core vote, um, which possibly looks and feels quite similar to um, what that vote looks like in England. But, you know, the, 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 the huge efforts that they've gone to to try and find um, Welsh-speaking representatives to, you know, apply, you know, a sort of diversity of candidates across Wales um, just hasn't quite carried across to policy. And I think part of that has been because of the way the debate has gone around the union. You know, they feel very, very protective of that. And because Labour has moved towards this more soft nationalist position, you know, they've come given ground on the union. And so the Welsh Conservatives feel that they're the sort of torchbearer for union politics, if I can put it that way. I mean, it sounds slightly Northern Irish in the way I'm describing it, but, you know, that's, I think that's in part why the reaction is almost constantly against anything that they see as being sort of nationalist in tendency. It's a, almost knee-jerk, so it possibly goes beyond the sort of the head and goes straight to the heart. We had um, Tom Giffard on a few weeks ago, and I think we had we had a very good conversation with him about you know places he grew up in Carmarthenshire, and he'll go and he'll speak to local farmers who are you know as as conservative, if not more conservative than him, but vote Plaid Cymru because of the language issue. I mean, I suppose it's a case a case and a question of marketing now more than anything else, isn't it? How do the conservatives go in and reach into those communities and say? Actually, if you looked at what Plaid Cymru were voting for in the Senate, you'd never vote for them again. Like, how would you do that marketing job, Anne? Well, you've got to be authentic, haven't you? Because you know, there's a reason culture and language matter so much because it's unique, and you can't, you can't, you can't pretend to sort of, you know, be supportive of it if outwardly you don't look like it. So they've got to constantly keep 
um, you know, building building the type of people who would be interested in conservative policy, but are also incredibly proud to have um, a plurality of identity. You know, you can be pro-union, and that can mean you know as proud a Welshman as possible, but you know, believe in sort of cultural settlement. Um, you know, and it doesn't have to be about racking union jacks on things. And I think because of the the strength of voice that nationalism has in many parts of the UK now, people who, you know, feel that they need to stand up for the union quite often will do that as a reaction. They'll almost sort of go down, you know, a slightly different uh, nationalised and national, nationalistic uh, tendency. And so that in itself can be quite off-putting to people that frankly don't put that type of identity um, ahead of their politics. So there needs to be a really, really careful balance. And I think, you know, the party's done done huge amounts in this area. So if you were going, if Tim Tom Gifford was going to go and have a chat with that farmer, you know, you would talk about the record. You'd say, look at S4C, look at the Welsh Language Act, look at the way that, um, you know, we vote for a million Welsh speakers by 2050, all of these kind of things, you know, are valid and true and policy, but also sort of say, actually, you know, you're, you're, com you're more comfortable with a centre-right agenda. We're the only ones putting that forward. There's no one currently implied Cymru that's doing that. That's the type of message you'd want. But it's difficult and it's confused when you see people jumping up and down about the renaming of a national park. Abby, did you have anything else on that before we move on? Yeah, just almost, I can think tapping into kind of people's views on independence, because if you are more aligned with the Conservative Party, you are not going to be wanting an independent Wales. So I think that's one of the points where we can try and attract these Welsh speaking people that do have views similar to ours to support the unionist message. And that's one of the angles that we do need to start looking into and tapping into is that people can be proud to be Welsh, proud to speak Welsh, but also be right, right, rightward leaning. <laughs> Um, and resonate with the Welsh Conservatives. Yeah, no, if I can just pick up on that, because um, you, you've mentioned a few times now about, and I don't want to focus on the the Banai Brechaino. I'm very much like you, I'm from there, I'm from Hay, it doesn't really interest me hugely what it's called, it's the issues within the park. But that knee-jerk reaction to the name change really did come from the Conservative Party members in Wales and, you know, the furore developed from there and as Abby said you know it was taken away from issues like Betsy and and last week the Welsh uh, health stats came out and they're not good again for the entirety of Wales is there something that the party needs to do to control the messaging and that kind of knee-jerk reaction to, to focus on the areas they they really want to and could get that kind of wider buy-in yeah I think I think it talks to a sort of fragility about um you know, their, how they feel, you know, the things that they care about, the values they care about. So things linked to the union are being perceived. And I think they feel that they have to sort of stand up and promote. And, you know, there's, there's, there's a place for that. But you, I would argue that you do that through um, proactive policy on the economy and on, um, you know, standing up for constitutional settlement, all those type of issues. These sort of niche cultural things, you know, would not get anywhere close to the attention they get were it not for the alternative reaction. You know, the media love nothing more than to sort of get two opposing sides jumping up and down shouting about it. And that's exactly what happened last week over something, you know, relatively mundane, frankly. So, you know, there possibly needs to be a better discipline there on these type of issues. You know, we live in a modern 
pluralistic union where you know there's different voices and different traditions and different cultures and you know you you would do well to promote all of those things and that's probably the best way for a union unionist uh, to promote the union into the future they you know they they don't possibly see it that way they see it as sort of being about you know nationalists trying to be nationalists well fine there's a, there's always an argument about these things but you know frankly as you say there are bigger issues and bigger matters at, at play and they should be you know going after those and, and trying to create the same level of heat and debate about things that really really matter to people and you know it was a it was a debate that you know probably all of us on this um podcast followed but you know did most other people and most people talking about it tonight no will they be talking about it in a few months time no I think that actually a lot of our politicians do push these fundamental issues, but it's just not what we spoke about it earlier. It's not what the media pick up. It, they want these scandalised, polarised issues, and that's what's cutting through in the Welsh media. So it does seem like these knee-jerk reactions is all our politicians talk about. But actually, every single week they're there on and on about their NHS waiting lists. They're on about education standards all of these core issues we are shouting and screaming about but it seems like it doesn't always cut through when the scandalized issues and topics do the one other kind of policy area which isn't so kind of like confrontational between the parties i think the welsh conservatives in the senate have you know got disagreement with the uk government on barnet consequentials for hs2 and northern powerhouse etc you know for me, really positive statements have come out on that, and it, it's kind of very much part of a Welsh a Welsh polity on that. But those are separate to the Secretary of State for Wales, who's been quite dismissive. You know, is there a kind of divergence within uh, the Conservative ranks between the Senev members, who perhaps have got that sympathy towards HS2 and Northern Powerhouse, and the MPs who aren't perhaps there just yet? So I think that the um, the actually one of the dividend, political dividends really of the pandemic in terms of the voters' um, minds is that you know you, the the decision makers really came to the fore. So you talk about Northern Powerhouse there, Northern Powerhouse Rail. You know, obviously Andy Burnham is the king of the north as he's uh, self self describing possibly, but um, you know he everybody knows that he is a big voice in this debate. He possibly goes even further than Keir Starmer and his team go on, on these type of issues. And, you know, and likewise, the Welsh Conservative group um, are differing to the, to the UK Conservative Party on some of these matters. That's what devolution is about. You're always going to have an emphasis um, from, from different parts of the party. You see that with the mayors in England. You certainly, you certainly have always seen it to a degree between the group and, um, and the UK party. And actually, if they do their job properly, they can change the minds of those in, in Westminster. So you only have to look at, you know, from my time there, the debate around um, the lockstep in, and income tax. That was changed because of pressure that Andrew put on the first time round. And, and, you know, there were huge splits in the, in the Tory group in the Senate at the time. But, you know, no one's talking about reversing that now you can put those pressures on and actually i think you know as long as you sort of manage the party mechanics of having a disagreement on policy particularly at a time when your conference is coming up as a prime example i think it you know you 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 can manage it you can deal with it i think the problem is quite often um lots of these matters can be sort of decided in cardiff bay and then they'll ambush the decision makers in westminster and that's what creates these slits it creates the media narrative and the like 
Um, and I think actually the, the party world's probably got a little bit better since my time at managing those type of disagreements. Just to follow on from that, I think we've talked earlier about how does the, do the Welsh Conservatives create their own identity and brand? And some of them we are going to disagree on or have different versions of what should happen regarding issues like the consequentials. But another point to come on to is what do we mean or who are we talking about when we say the Welsh Conservatives? Because it do, are we referring to the the Welsh Conservative group in the Senate when we're talking about that, or is it the wider party, the MPs? So I think it's important to think about who we're referring to when we say that, and when we're building up that brand, are we talking about the Senate group, or are we talking about the MPs, are we talking about our members, are we talking about all of our volunteers, when we're talking about building the brand and the policy and direction from there, because there is going to be a difference between what Westminster interests and the Welsh group's interests. I've got one more question on policy issues and the differences between various things. And one of the areas which I'm interested in is that I find that some of the Welsh Conservative in the Senate opposition sometimes feels a little bit like opposition for the sake of it rather than that kind of real ideological. So I'm thinking around the, the issues around second homes and um, I've got interest in South Shropshire, a really conservative area. And they've got really quite draconian policies on second homes by the local council. I, I just wonder why the Conservatives in Wales have got such an issue with what Welsh Government are doing in that type of area. Do you, do you think it's sometimes simply opposition for the sake of it, or do you think there are fundamental issues with that? Penalising second homeowners is not the way to go. It depends which way we're looking at it. If we're looking at it as you know those who are coming here with permanent holiday homes or those who are using them as a business, you should not be penalising people who want to come and enjoy Welsh culture, what we have to offer here. It's it's a lovely place to be. Why would you want to um, penalise somebody for being here? But at the same time, we are not building enough houses here in Wales, and that's what we need to be looking at. I I don't think that it's fair to say that it's kind of opposition for opposition's sake when there are important things to be raised such as we have there are not enough homes for young people great but how do we go about that we don't penalize people who want to be here we provide more space and more homes for our young people so that there is somewhere for them to go without taking away that money and investment that people are wanting and offering to our welsh economy and any thoughts on second homes or the tourism tax things like that which oh i definitely have views on the tourism tax so look i think the, i think the difficulty actually with all of these type of issues is that policy in itself is always really hard it requires um you know proper evidence base it requires analysis it requires deep thinking and quite often you know you if if you've got a machine that you're facing which has got the support of the civil service quite often you know, in responding to it with an alternative policy, it can seem a little bit knee-jerk. It can seem not particularly well thought through. But I think on, you know, tourism tax, they're certainly on the right side because, you know, I gave evidence at the Welsh Affairs Select Committee um, in the summer on this. You know, the, the, the evidence base is really poor. It's a very, very politicised decision which is going to go against the tourism industry in Wales to a large extent. And they're certainly on the right side of the debate, particularly as far as the industry is concerned. But as I say, you know, on the on the wider point, it is difficult quite often as the opposition to be able to put forward a proactive and alternative view um, that you know doesn't sound like opposition for opposition's sake as, as you list it. I found that myself when I was there. You know, you're 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 often facing 
many, many different issues. So you've got to pick the ones that you're going to make your issue. Um, and because of all of the different areas of competency, because of all of the different shadow ministers and their teams, you know, sort of putting forward alternative, you know, visions, quite often it will feel um, like it is just sort of opposition for opposition's sake, as you as you put it. Yeah, I, I, I'm really sorry, Beth. I worded that really, really poorly because I was thinking off the cuff. But it was more the opposition's there, but instead of coming in with policies themselves, which could kind of address the issues the Welsh government policies are trying to address, it just seems opposition without coming in with the kind of policies that could address those issues themselves. That's why I was trying to get in, but it was completely messed up. Well, take, 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 take the tourism tax, right? So you've got, you've got an issue here where Wales arguably is going to be the first part of the UK that levies an additional amount of money on visitors coming to, to Wales, right? So tourism is, uh, I think, the second biggest industry in Wales. You know, very, very large part of the economy. So it's a big decision that's going to have a big distortionary impact. The, the Welsh Labour ministers will point to lots of European cities that levy, you know, just a euro on a hotel room or whatever. What they're not talking about, what the, what the opposition in Wales are not talking about, is that, you know, if you do that, what you're going to do is you're going to create a more expensive experience, which is already expensive. Getting around Wales is expensive, whether you do it on a train, whether you come on a plane and then have to get a visa, all of these things, um, you know, accumulative. And so, yeah, you could just add an extra pound on a, on a night stay or whatever. But if you want people to come for two weeks and you've got a family of four, actually a lot of that, that's a lot of extra money. So, you know, it's that type of debate that needs to be had. I think what we have is a very binary, binary debate where one side says, we're going to do this. And the opposition say, well, we don't like it. And that is it. There isn't the depth and the analysis to go into these type of issues. And, you know, my frustration is that tourism is something I'm really passionate about. And you don't really get that. You just get the headlines. So we are mere, well, at this point, a mere week or so away from Rishi Sunak's big first test as Prime Minister with large bits of England going to the polls in the local elections. Abby, you are sort of activist and door knocker extraordinaire. I always see you dotting yourself around the country. How do you see those elections going? And if they don't go well, can we expect anything to change at, at Westminster as we head towards a general election? It's hard to say how that's going to go. I know our local elections last year were, were were not great. And this time around, the polls are looking more positive on a UK-wide basis, but obviously in the red wall seats, it's more of a challenge because there is that disconnect and kind of distaste for politics at the moment. You know, if, we, if things stay steady, we still need to build um, back up towards that general election. And if things don't go so well, we still have the time to turn things around. There's a lot more that this government has to pull out of the bag. There's investment and Rishi's five points that he's working through at the moment. We're just at the start of him picking up momentum to actually get ready in this term to deliver. So whilst we may get a not so positive result come, is it next week? Um, yeah, next week. It, it does not mean like game over for the Conservatives at all. There's definitely still room to claw it back and get on track. And what do you think? Do you think that a, a loss in next week's election will will mandate some sort of big change at, 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 uh, at Westminster? Or do you think it's maybe half time and the manager's going to stick with the team for a little bit longer? <laughs> um, so you've got you've got a challenge here, which is that they're going to be tough. There's no doubt about it. You've got a couple of different tests that you're going to see. You're going to see 
can Rishi Sunak achieve better than the thousand seat loss that's being sort of either briefed out or talked about in, in the media in the run up to them? He will be hoping the answer to that is yes. Where are the losses and who are the losses to is the second question. So if you look at the areas like southwest of England, is there a potential Lib Dem revival that we might see? Northeast, is the, is the Red Wall so-called going to be tested there, you know, albeit through council seats and that lens? You've also got um, elections going on in Northern Ireland as well. So there's, a, you know, there's potentially another test there. I think, I think the, diff the, dif the difference this time, though, is that if you, if you imagine the results come out on the Friday morning, on the Saturday, you've got coronation. So, you know, automatically people are not going to be talking about local government elections. So, so he's almost saved regardless of what they are there. And then he goes on this sort of series of international summits. Um, I think it's the G7, and then you know, the, and I think the NATO summit coming up as well. So there's there's a, there's a whole range of things where he can look prime ministerial straight off the bat of these. So yes, they're going to be tough. Everybody knows that. It's just whether they tell us enough of a story that everybody, when times settle down, can say actually, you know, the election still looks like it might be in play. Uh, thank you so much for coming on to talk to us this evening. I've got one very easy, not at all difficult question for you both before we go. And it's it's really this. If you had to say what the one big challenge and the one big opportunity for the Welsh Conservatives is before the next election, probably next year at some point, what would they be? So I think, I think the biggest challenge is that um, they're going to make, they're going to need to make the offer look fresh and new. Um, and appealing because let's face it you know regardless of coalitions and very very short parliamentary terms it is effectively a fifth term so that's going to be a big challenge to voters who you know may very well feel quite jaded this the the, the opportunity though is that um they do have potentially you know an improving economic backdrop and if um, Rishi Sunak can point to these five tests as having been met and then moved on to, you know, a series of potentially popular moves like tax cutting agenda and the like, then, you know, the, the, there's possibly more space for them to play with ahead of that election and with a manifesto than people might feel right now. So I think it's, it's a difficult landscape, but I would, that, that's how I would sort of set it out. For me, looking at more of the Welsh Conservative side of things, I think the biggest challenge that we have is that our, our voters aren't, well, not only our voters, the Welsh public are not seeing these giant failings that the Welsh Labour government are providing. Our greatest challenge is ensuring that people do engage and resonate, that the media is picking up this message. Um, and then that kind of turns into our greatest opportunity, because if this message does cut across and people understand that it's not Westminster that is making their grandma sit on a, a NHS um, a &E chair for, you know, a ridiculous amount of hours, if they can point that actually Welsh Labour is failing here, you know, Keir Starmer's using that Wales is a great blueprint for what a Labour government would look like, actually... It really is not. Things are a lot more dire here in Wales. Our waiting lists are higher. The educational standards are lower. We're having more money spent per head here, but we're not seeing that resonate through our public services. So I think that's a great opportunity for the Welsh Conservatives. If we can tie in that kind of, look, Labour is not a better option here. You've already had it here in Wales for over 22, 20, 
how many years ago now? 20? Oh, I, I forget every no, time. Too it's many like years. 20, <laughs> nearly 24 years, I think we're at now. I think the COVID years kind of skewed that for me. <laughs> but, you know, we've had, uh, since the conception of devolution here in Wales, that's what we're looking at. And if you want more of the same, how are things going to get better? Because I think a lot of people do look at now that they're, they're, they're unhappy with the political landscape and the cost of living crisis is always labelled as the Tory cost of living crisis. And... The, that's not the case we've got many as you guys know there's there's so many factors in play of why people are suffering right now but labor is not the solution to that problem when the, the things that we are facing like the nhs waiting list like the ambulance waiting times are problems that the labor government here in wales can solve and they are not doing so well I just want to say thank you so much to both of you for coming on the show this evening. Um, if people want to hear more from you, where can they go find you on Twitter, Abby? Yeah, uh, so at Abigail Maynard. Uh, and Ant? At Ant Pickles. Wonderful. Thank you very much to both of you again. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard this evening, please don't forget to find Here I Is on all the socials at Here I Is Pod, or you can go to our website, www.walespolitics.com. And thank you very much for supporting us with your ears. But if you would like to do so with your pocket, you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash Here I Is Pod. Thank you for listening to Here I Is. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review.